0: I'm going to ask um if you would say some words with me. Would you say these words with me? You might know them. I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. You know those words, right? I saw some of you doing the thing. How many of you grew up saying those words at school every morning? It's called the what? Pledge of the Pledge of Allegiance. Although How many of us grew up saying these exact words? Did did anybody stumble when I was like, hey, say these? Right, no, these aren't the words. Did y'all know? They've changed. So Francis Bellamy first wrote these words on an August day in 1892, So I don't know, some of you might remember following the Civil War into the 1880s, there was a new wave of immigration into the United States. That's actually when the bulk of my ancestors came over from Ireland and and from Norway. And in response to all these different people, these different cultures, these different religions, these different flags, different languages, a retired Civil War general, this is him, George Balk, he wrote the first pledge to the American flag, and he wrote that actually in 1885, and this was his pledge. We give our heads and our hearts to God and our country. One country, one language, one flag. And a few schools picked up on his pledge, but it wasn't until 1892 that Bellamy published what would become known as the Pledge of allegiance and he published that in the youth companion this is the actual edition the youth companion magazine that was published out of boston massachusetts now the publish of this magazine the publishers also sold american flags to schools homes and and individuals and they were gearing up to capitalize on a potential sales boom because columbus day that year in 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 1892 just happened to be 400 years after Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And so they're like, we're going to sell a lot of flags this year. What can we do to boost sales even more? So the editor asked Bellamy, a former Baptist minister, to write a pledge that they could share with schools across the country to say this pledge in front of a flag. And if they needed to say it in front of a flag, that meant they had to buy a... Flag, see, it's a good sales gimmick, and it worked. They sold a lot of flags, but more importantly, Bellamy's words have become a part of the American experience ever since. Only they've changed, because our country has changed. You see, in 1916, Europe was in the throes of World War II, and so Woodrow Wilson established our national Flag Day, marking the first occasion that the Pledge of Allegiance was recited in an official government capacity. You see, before that, the pledge was primarily or almost wholly relegated to the school system. In 1924, they made changes to the actual words My flag became the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic. And in 1942, the The pledge was formally recognized by Congress and included in the pledge, or the U.S. flag code, and the salute was changed to the flag. Did y'all know this? I did not know this, because apparently up until 1942, it was customary to salute the flag with your right hand outreached and the palm down. It was called the Bellamy salute. So this is a school, actual school. It's creepy now, right? And in 1942, that got really awkward. So they decided after Hitler and the Nazis pledging allegiance to him that we would do (laughs) this instead in the United States. And finally, in 1954, the proliferation of communism and the prohibition against religious expression that often accompanied communism, the U.S. government decided to add one more phrase to our Pledge of Allegiance. And what's that phrase? One nation under God to show that we are still a nation of faith. That's the pledge I learned. Is that the pledge you all learned? Finally, we get there in 19. 19- 54. It's the one I know. Does anybody remember reciting the flag before they added under God? A few of us, right. Anybody remember doing the Bellamy flag salute? <laughs> Maybe not any of us for that. Although I will say this, I did the math. So Dorothy Green was in our first service today. Today is her 99th birthday. And if you do the math, I'm pretty sure she would have done this, but she only remembers this. <laughs> I wouldn't want to remember that either. Well, our scripture today also focuses on what you can kind of think of as a Pledge of Allegiance of sort. Our scripture is a moment when Peter and the rest of the disciples first acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is their one true King. And Jesus chose a rather odd place for this moment to happen because of Well, kind of because of politics, and and I'll, I'll tell you why. This is Matthew. It's chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, and this is what we read. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so Jesus said to them, but who do you say I am? I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you. We praise you this day. May may we feel it in our hearts to profess our allegiance to you and you alone again on this day, that you truly are our King, that we might bask in your amazing love. Turn our hearts to you. Give us a word that brings us back to the source of all that we are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now let's see if you remember where we left Jesus and the disciples last week. If you remember, everything had changed. Like John the Baptist had been killed. The kingdom movement was now in mission-critical mode. And the disciples still did not understand about kingdom bread. They still didn't understand that seven loaves can actually feed 4,000 people when Jesus is involved. The disciples still didn't get it. And Jesus knows, like, I'm going to be passing the mantle to these guys soon. (laughs) So we got to get them up to speed. And so after he heals the Canaanite woman's daughter, and after Jesus feeds the 4,000 Gentiles, Jesus and the disciples, they head back across the Sea of Galilee into, into, into Jewish territory. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they're like waiting there for Jesus. Immediately they're going to test him. And so they want him to prove where his allegiance lies. Like, are you really sent from God in heaven? Mostly, though, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees want to trick him. They want to prove that the disciples and others should keep their allegiance with the temple and its leaders and not put their allegiance to Jesus. But just like he wouldn't fall for Satan's tests in the wilderness, Jesus wouldn't give up his true allegiance to anyone but God. And he doesn't do that now. And so afterward, the disciples realize that this is one of my favorite moments in Scripture. We never, this is never in the lectionary. The disciples realize that they forgot to bring bread to eat when they cross back over the river. So they leave the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Jesus, they're all, they're noticing they have nothing to eat. And so Jesus tells them, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the disciples say, I love this. He said that because we forgot the bread. (laughs) Beware the yeast of the Sadducees and Pharisees. We forgot the bread. And Jesus hears them. And you can almost picture Jesus just smacking his forehead. Like, guys, how many times do we have to go over this? It's not about the bread. It was never about the bread. It's about the misplaced allegiance of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Don't trust their yeast. Don't trust what they're pouring into you. Because the Sadducees, they've placed all of their allegiance on the temple system and the power that it brings to them and the prestige it brings to them. And the Pharisees, they've placed all their allegiance into their own interpretations of the law of Scripture. But our true allegiance, Jesus is saying to them, our true faith belongs in God alone. And so then our Scripture today happens. The next thing you know, they're walking near Caesarea Philippi. And this momentous moment, uh, you have to know a little bit about Caesarea Philippi to to kind of get the gist of it, so why Jesus is there. So King Herod the Great, he was the king when, when Jesus was born, when he got born. And, and, and he was the king in Judea, and he was made king in Judea by Mark Antony. Anybody know Mark Antony? He and Cleopatra had a thing for a little while, those two. Well, he made Herod king, but then Caesar Augustus assumed the, the empire. He basically announced the Roman Empire and displaced Mark Antony. And now you got Herod thinking, uh-oh, there's a new emperor in town. The old one made me king. I better make sure he knows I'm I'm falling in line. So King Herod, even though he had expanded, he was a Jew and and temple Jew, and he had expanded the temple in Jerusalem, he also decided he's going to build a temple to King Herod to make sure Herod knows I'm with you. My allegiance lies with you, King Herod. And then after his death, of uh, Augustus, and so after his death, Herod's territory gets split amongst his sons. Herod and Antipas rules over Galilee. He's the one that oversaw John the Baptist's murder. And Herod's other son, Philip, establishes a, a capital where he's going to rule from, and he establishes it right next to that temple his dad built to Caesar Augustus. And he calls the capital city Caesarea Philippi, so you can hear in the name where his allegiance lies, right? Caesarea, Caesar town, And just so you all who live around me know where your allegiance lies, I'm going to add my name to the end, Philippi, Caesarea Philippi. It represents everything that the Roman Empire is. And Jesus and his disciples live in a time where allegiances mattered. And allegiances were scattered. There were tribal affiliations, regional affiliations. You might affiliate with the, the, the newly declared empire. Religious affiliations, affiliations to sects within the religions. Like the disciples, they represented that. You had zealots like Simon among the disciples. They were radical Radical and violent protesters against the Roman Empire. You had tax collectors who were government employees. You had John the Baptist and some of his disciples that had moved over to Jesus that came from a monastic segment of Judaism. And the fishermen then, they're just some good old boys never meaning no harm. And so for all of them, all of them, Caesar was supposed to be their primary allegiance as Roman citizens. And then underneath that, was your father, the potter, Familius, your allegiance to family. So you can begin, maybe I think, to see why Jesus, who says there's a new Messiah in town, a new king in town, that why Jesus would choose this place right outside Caesarea Philippi to ask this question of the disciples. Here in the heart of, of Roman allegiance in our territory, who do the people say I am? And the disciples say, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And with that, for the first time in Scripture, Jesus is revealed as the ancient Messiah in the words of a human being, saying, you are the Messiah. Christos is the word in Greek. It means anointed one, Messiah, the Christ. And finally, after all these disciples had been through, after all the healings they'd witnessed, the teachings they'd heard, the miracles that Jesus had performed in front of them, after all that bread, finally, they get it they finally understand it was never about the bread. It was always about our Messiah walking amongst us, the son of the ultimate paterfamilias, the son of the living God. Peter proclaims for the first time that Jesus is Messiah, son of God. And in doing so, Peter finally moves beyond earthly things, at least for the moment. He is Peter, But he declares his allegiance to the things and the kingdom of heaven, the king of heaven. And finally, Jesus says, Simon, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And it's on this profession, this confession of Christ alone as Savior and Lord, that the church of Jesus Christ was built and still stands today. This confession hasn't changed since the day Peter said, Jesus, our Messiah. Throughout the centuries, there have been conflicting allegiances. Like, even from the very beginning of Christianity, y'all remember Paul's words? to the Corinthians. It's like right at the very beginning of his first letter, Paul's like, some of you say that I am of Paul, or I'm with Apollos, or I'm with Cephas. They're already divvying out allegiances when Jesus is like, no, no, all of our allegiance goes to who? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, why are we? Why, why have we already gone astray? And then nations will come and go. Political systems come and go. Other religions come and go. Family members come and go. We pledge our allegiance to our alma mater. Like once a month, I get a led letter from my alma mater asking me to financially pledge my allegiance to my alma mater. We pledge our allegiance to our business. Anyone ever remember the days of, of company men and company towns even you might live in? We pledge our allegiance to sports teams, to political parties, political figures. We pledge our allegiance and our ideologies to uh, to partisan position papers, to specific denominations, specific churches, specific pastors. We even pledge our allegiance to pop stars. Anyone else here a believer? But through it all, since that day outside Caesarea Philippi, there's been one pledge, one confession that has never changed. And that's that Jesus is our Messiah, the foundation upon which we all are built. As I was learning about the life of our Saint of the Week this week, our last saint for this sermon series is probably one of the most influential saints in the Western Church, Saint Benedict. And I mean, right up the road in atchison right, we got Benedictine College. If you're wondering how influential he is, it's still strong. Benedict was born in 480 A.D., coincidentally shortly after the demise of the Roman Empire. The Western world was in chaos. The Goths were running across Europe, and conflicting allegiances were the order of the day. Benedict was born into nobility, but like so many before him, he was compelled to leave it all behind, to give up everything due to his allegiance to Christ and what Christ taught. He became a hermit and then eventually went on to found Twelve monasteries, and at the beginning, twelve abbeys, and each one had twelve monks and He wrote a rule of life, a way to live their life that kept christ 's teachings at the forefront. This rule, written in five twenty nine a d became the basis for the monasteries that would carry the Christian faith as well as secular learning through the dark ages and on to today and Today, there are currently seventy five hundred Benedictine monks and thirteen hundred benedictine nuns in over 400 monasteries around the globe that all trace themselves back, back to this one person and the rule of life that he wrote as a commitment to seek god in everything they do in prayer and in work for ben, benedict one's allegiance to christ didn't just start at church and end at church or start in prayer and end in prayer Our allegiance to Christ should inform everything we are, from tending our garden to preparing a meal to sharing in relationship with our neighbors. Ora et labora, prayer and work. A monk may have an allegiance to a particular abbey or an abbot, a particular community or the nation in which they live. They have an allegiance to the Catholic Church, but above all of that, who is their allegiance to? Christ, the Messiah, confessed by Peter. But what worried Benedict was when those allegiances got crossways, when Christ was no longer the head, or when our other allegiances started to corrupt the character of our devotion to Christ. For Benedict, the key was to do the opposite, to make sure that our devotion to Christ and our allegiance to Christ is always infusing and influencing our allegiance to things of this world. Perhaps one of the best examples of this happened during Benedict's interaction with uh, King Totila. Totila was this nominally Christian king of the Goths who was particularly ruthless. And so Rome had been sacked in the early 5th century and then had been taken back by the Romans. And Totila was on his way to get it back for the Goths. And on his way, he runs into the Benedict, this monk, sitting out in a field. And he's immediately overcome. And he goes to his knees and he says, Father Benedict, pray for me, a poor sinner. And Benedict replies to him, King Totila, you know my prayers for you do no good unless you yourself decide to change. You command thousands of strong men, but do you command your own self? You murder when you feel like it. You live sinfully. You give others much pain. And what is worse, you enjoy it. You don't care if someone has no shoes, if another is hungry, if a soldier loses an arm in battle. Can you change? You must submit to a new king, your allegiance to a new king, to Christ, the God of all creation, and to his Holy Spirit. You must be like a child. You must become a man of peace. And Totila says, But Father, you know yourself. I can't. I'm a man of war. My job is to defeat those who oppose my will. Do you know how many people count on me to win? And Benedict says, But you can be merciful, my son. You can spare those you capture. You can learn to love. You can be a kind ruler. You see, Benedict saw a way, even for a man whose work was war, he saw a way for Christ and the way of Christ to infuse his work, for prayer to change how he did his work to change his work. Kings will kill kings. Nations will fall. Even the temple would be destroyed after 40 years from that day that Jesus saw Peter and the disciples in Caesarea Philippi. But Christ remains unchanged. He is the one firm foundation for our lives. That's what Jesus did on the road outside Caesarea Philippi. He offered the disciples the opportunity to pledge their allegiance first and foremost to him by proclaiming Jesus as their Messiah, the Christ. And so that's our question for today, right? If that's what Jesus did, he gave us this opportunity to see him and give our allegiance to him first and foremost, what will you do knowing that Lord knows we have enough things in this world competing for our allegiance. Apple, any android people in the room, any wayward souls that have pledged their allegiance to the wrong? Republican or Democrat? I'm learning this one with my daughter now. MU or KU? (laughs) And the people at MU have some choice words to say about the people at KU who pledge their allegiance there centrist or traditionalist ford or gmc not to mention the ways that we're asked to pledge our allegiance to our work or our school to our families or those destruction destructive allegiances to rivalries and addictions or loyalty to the things that tend to tear our souls apart there on the road next to cesarea philippi peter pledged his allegiance to jesus the messiah Benedict saw the chaos and competing allegiances in the world and he committed his life to christ and showed countless others a way to do the same and so today i ask you who has your ultimate allegiance because god is doing a new thing in our community through this church and god is seeking to use us as a foundation a rock just like he saw peter as that rock for the church to be built once Peter confessed his faith in Jesus as the Messiah. God is seeking us here, people of Faith United Methodist Church, the people in this room, that this place might become a foundation upon which new things are happening in Grain Valley, that new people might know Jesus, that there might be a new place for people to find Jesus, and that people might find a purpose in their life who sometimes are viewed as being purposeless. But it all starts here. If we're going to be that foundation, we need to make sure that our allegiances are in the right place and that our ultimate allegiance is in Christ Jesus, the Messiah. So what will you do when someone says, who do you say that Jesus is? Will you proclaim him as your Messiah, not just with your words, not just with your aura, but with your labora? with with your work Amen Amen